Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Dennis Carusis. He's the founder and CEO at Volta Energy. So, Dennis, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Pleasure to be with you, Tats. I'm excited because you come from a technical background, but you've really taken on entrepreneurship in many different ways. Did you exhibit sort of entrepreneurial tendencies when you were younger? Oh, yes, I did. So I think at the age of six, I was really curious about science and so forth. And then as I got a little older, my father had a small uh, cleaning business, quite honestly. And I grew up in that cleaning business. So the whole concept of, you know, providing a service, at least back in those days at the age of 10, 11, and then invoicing the customer. And I thought, wow, OK, you, you don't need a job. So that was probably my first you know, exposure to entrepreneurship, so to speak. And, and to put a little more context there. My father was a mining engineer when we immigrated to Canada. You know, he worked in a mine and there was a recession that happened in 1980. I'm going to date myself a little bit, 1981 or so. So we left the little small town of Elliott Lake back then and came to Toronto. And my father could not find another job. And the story goes that, you know, he tried a different number of odd jobs. One of them was... Uh, believe it or not, salesman for Electrolux, like a vacuum cleaner salesman. So he was cold calling people. And through the cold calling, he effectively met an old army buddy of his from Greece, of all things. And that guy had a cleaning business. And the guy told him, you're wasting your time. Why don't you just start up a cleaning business? You can make some money. So that's how he started the cleaning business. And I grew up in that cleaning business, right? So from the age of probably 11, as I recall, till my 20s, I was involved, at least on a part-time level. And I saw it all. So that just gave me the bug. Yeah. And then you got your, I think, uh, electrical and mechanical engineering knowledge, which, I mean, I can see you were around that environment with your dad. Right. So it was real important I get an education. I had to do at least a bachelor's and a master's, which... You know, I would argue the master's was probably a, not a good idea in the 90s, because if you had just gone to California, you would have been killing it. But yeah, I did a master's and then I went to work for a couple of years. And then, you know, I, I got a little bored in the daily grind of a job. So, you know, my excuse was I'm going to go back and do a Ph.D. and see if I can do a Ph.D. to actually start a company. Didn't work out quite that way, but that was always kind of the goal to be able to start a company. Now, starting a company in engineering to build disruptive technologies requires a lot. You need capital investment. You need to get lucky, all these things. So we can get into more details there. But yeah, it was uh, quite the adventure. I don't like to sit still. That's the other problem. <laughs> well, problem, opportunity, who knows, right? right? Point of view. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So you started on the uh, the technical side. There's, I see a lot of computing background. And then how did you transition into your full, your first venture? So that was, that was interesting. I was actually 
working as an applications engineer at some point for a startup out of Silicon Valley. And then I kind of saw, you know, the disruptiveness that could be generated. Now, that startup was obviously very well funded, but I got even more of a bug at that point and maybe a little cocky, quite honestly. But I said after about a year, I'm going to go and do my own thing. And good or bad, I mean, at the time, it was a decision. I was probably very naive and cocky at the same time, but I learned a lot of lessons along the way. So I think in 2008, you know, I, I quit my job effectively. I tried to do a number of different things. Eventually, I ended up starting Volta. And uh, we raised a little bit of capital, mostly from friends and family. The idea was to build EV charging systems, believe it or not, back when there was probably a couple hundred EVs in circulation. And the focus, so we were trying to also be disruptive. The idea behind it was, well, if there's if there's going to be a lot of EVs someday, we also have to do some type of demand management. So we should regulate with smart chargers, being able to control the power. Got a couple of patents, built some prototypes. In fact, that's one of the very first prototypes right there. Mm. But uh, yeah, we fell flat on our face and got very little market traction, at which point I kind of decided to go down a consulting path. Through the consulting, I met a lot of people. I fixed a lot of problems, industrial problems. And then, you know, the network started to expand from there. But it was a rough, I'd like to say, two, three years, as it usually is for any uh, small business when you're starting up. And then the consulting kept the lights on for a while. And suddenly, you know, we had projects that could become sustainable through engineering funding and through capital investment because of the network that eventually we ended up with. So yeah, it was uh, quite the adventure. Where did the business evolve to? Where, where are you today? So where we are today, Volta Energy, the initial company that had started, has become effectively um, sort of an incubation hub where we spin out technology. So we build technologies. We partner with good entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs will we'll develop some type of disruptive technology and then we'll spin it out as, um, as its own entity. So we've done this now a number of times successfully and we just keep repeating effectively. So, um, yeah. you know, one of our first products or companies was Atom Power. Atom Power built a, the world's first solid state circuit breaker. That was very exciting. And we're doing it now with Volta Insight as well, which is a cloud-based monitoring solution. And we have another partnership with a company out of Bangalore, Zepco Technologies. So they're focusing on building lightweight electric motors for industrial drone applications with VFDs combined. And then uh, we have an internal project now that we're kicking off which is, we call it Volta Spice, so sustainable preservation of the internal combustion engine. It's along the lines of e-fuels, but more focused on technology development, IP development, so catalysts and processes to enable others to actually produce the e-fuels. So that's where we're at. And we have you know, staff for each of the projects, anywhere between you know, seven people to 100 people in, in the case of Adam Power. So. We've kind of made it. 
you have a process though, right? Like, because the thing is, you know, now that you are incubating, qualifying, commercializing, people are coming to you. Yes. And not every deal is good or opportunity. How, just a high level overview is what is your process of looking at stuff and developing it? So first it's about people, quite honestly. I would like to get to know a person before I go into business with them. And usually there has to be a little bit of history somehow. So, uh, you know, quite honestly, if I get a cold call from somebody that wants to do something, it is unlikely that I will pursue that unless we've been engaged at some level and have, you know, had a successful outcome. So then I can gauge the working relationship. I can gauge the person's character, all of these things, right? Because when you're setting up a team, it's a lot more than just the technology. It's really about the people. So the the technology and so forth is secondary. In my mind, it's all about, you know, the ability to execute as well as the ability to work within a team, which some people lack, obviously, but there are still a lot of good people out there. So, so how do you develop history, right? Because obviously, if you don't have history, you don't work together, but you'd like to have work with them. So what are some lower, I don't know, like ways where experience and, you know, getting to know someone and stuff occur, like consulting projects, nonprofit boards, like what, what are your, what do you, what's the feel for someone that's trying to get experience and build relationships? Right. So definitely the consulting has helped tremendously and that expands your network very quickly. So that's one. The other one now I've actually joined Entrepreneurs Organization, which is a great place to meet like-minded individuals. So EO has been great. I'm starting to do a little bit of business with some people there. You got to build history. You got to get yourself out there. Even in some cases, customer interactions. One of my first consulting gigs, I went in to a vendor towards us to purchase equipment. We started talking and after a few months, they wanted to partner up and make us a, a rep. So it's, it is really about getting out there, trying to do some business together, whatever purchasing, as long as you're, you're good to the other side and you show that you're on time and you know, you pay your bills, all of that, you know, you generate good relationships and then you can make a decision if you want to work on a project together effectively. So that's how it's all come together, quite honestly. Yeah. yeah. So you said it starts with the people. What what other factors contributed to coming together the way that it has? So the people is the first one, definitely. That's the most important one. Can you work with this individual? or individuals. And then the next one is, is the project worthy of our time and effort? And generally, you know, we like to take on challenging projects. Obviously, they're not all going to necessarily work out. But if you have the right people in place, at some point, you can understand where you could potentially pivot with whatever it is you're doing, and make it fit into the marketplace. So that product market fit is important. I believe in general, entrepreneurship is the effective management and optimization of the resources that are available to you, right? So people, ideas, concepts, 
what the market is looking at uh, in general. So, uh, I mean, if, if you went into web development in 1990, you probably would uh, be somewhat successful, right? So choosing the right market and then focusing on it, you could you could achieve something. That's the goal. So number one is people. And then, you know, there has to be some type of good idea within a marketplace that's expanding. Yeah. With your company, I mean, obviously you take it from, you know, grinding it out, figuring out what's working and then trying to operationalize it. Do you work through a framework for that or is it some, what's your process? Yeah, I think I can't say we've solidified a framework. I would say that one, meet people, good idea, start doing development, right? And then you gauge everything as you go. So is our design methodology as we attempt to develop something and commercialize it, is it working and is it working fast enough? And once you get to a state where, yeah, I believe we can sell this in the marketplace, so minimum viable product, right? Have we got a minimal viable product that somebody will actually pay for? That is probably the first step into the business on that side, past the engineering. And getting that first customer, I mean, there's there's a bit of luck associated with that, obviously. So then you start pounding down doors, leveraging your network and seeing what is what is out there and you know, getting your first customer is always going to be the hardest thing that you ever do in any business. Maybe there's some examples on what it means for something to be working fast enough, because that that, that makes sense, right? Because some things could work on a smaller scale, but maybe it, when you look at the model, it's just not going to support each other. What, what's, what's an example of the speed and how you've quantified that? Yeah, and speed is a relative thing. Um, I mean... If you're trying to sell soap online, and I'm just using this as an example, right? You could probably get that business up and running if you have the right marketing and so forth within a few months, potentially, right? But if you're building a cloud-based monitoring solution like Volta Insight, that may take two or three years to actually develop the product. So time is a relative thing what are you comfortable with how much resources are you willing to allocate towards that project and then your first customer where are you going to get that and are you going to have enough funding to get to that first customer to show the product market fit so i think it's a case-by-case basis right absolutely i think i just wanted to hear you talk through some of the parameters that float in your head i don't think there's a clean answer for any of this i don't think so either yes well said well said (laughs) Awesome. Um, you said get yourself out there is one of the most important things. You said you joined some networks. What other things have you done to get yourself out there or your business out there? What's been your path to market? So it has quite honestly been the majority of it, our internal network, getting anything off the ground. Um, and then a little bit of marketing. And we've started to focus more on marketing on LinkedIn. And now we're looking at web development and possibly SEO and so forth. So these are new experiments for us, but the majority of business that we have done has been through our network. Mm. um, The majority has been that way because a lot of it's been what? B2B heavy. Essentially, you're just targeting people, right? People 
opposed to something that, like you said, you mentioned soap, where marketing plays a bigger factor, sales or business dev is a bigger factor as these larger transactional sort of things. Correct. Yes. So B2B, especially at an enterprise level sale, which is what our companies do effectively, is a lot more targeted to a specific company and then being able to find the right decision maker within that business. And really, it only takes one champion within the business to proliferate your solution, but you need to get to that champion who will say, oh my goodness, yeah, we need this. We definitely need this. And you get a lot of no's in that process of looking. Like you mentioned, is it just the numbers game or can sometimes you anticipate or guess who could possibly be a champion for what you're doing? You can definitely guess in the case of Volta Insight, for example, we focus on reliability of electrical distribution systems. So we have condition monitoring for critical assets. The bigger companies now have reliability engineering teams. So you will find a reliability engineer and then, you know, approach them and try to get to their boss eventually. You know, we haven't gone a lot of top down maybe we could approach CFOs as well to show them that, hey, look, if you use our solution, this is your ROI. But we've done everything bottom up because we believe, you know, eventually it'll go to the bottom guys to assess the solution. So we start there because we're small, right? We're not, we're, we haven't gotten the mass traction of a Salesforce, for example, right? So we want the the techies within the company that will say, yeah, this is valuable to us. And then, you know, we try to escalate from there. That's how we've been doing it. Yeah. I mean, when you approach, you know, in your situation, you call techies, is there a specific approach that works with, you know, techies versus others, or is it just similar across some of your ventures or is it, is, is, is something very unique about selling a bit more of a technical solution? Yeah, I think the technical solution, you have to find a person that you could actually speak to now. And when I say speak to, they actually understand your jargon, right? Because you're going to give them a slide deck with voltage and current and all these other things. And if you just go to the CFO, for example, they want to see the ROI page. But if you give them all this other stuff, they're going to pass it on to some engineer um, and say, is this really true? So we, we start the other way. And, you know, a lot of times maybe we find people that are not technical, for example, but they will refer us eventually to somebody who is technical who can say, yeah, well, I like this. I don't like this. Um, so one of the best examples, our biggest customer is um, I can't say the name, it's yeah, of course. but um, they had. Our first meeting with them, it was like a lot of division heads, and it was, let's say, five of them. And we presented on a Zoom call similar to this. It was, it was, I was a little pre-COVID, but four out of the five said, we don't need your solution. Like, we're good. You know, it's not necessary. And then one voice out of the five said, well, we have all kinds of electrical problems. You know, you guys should come and visit us and give us a presentation. So. That's how we got our biggest customers. So we got four no's in that one call and one yes. And really all you need is that one yes, right? Advocating for group calls just to like look <laughs> at body language to see if you can get one person that's siding with you. Right. 
Correct. Good. No, I love the stories. What are you looking forward to with all the stuff you're doing? You know, we're just banging away at the moment. You know, every every day I wake up and I'm like excited to go to work. So, you know, that, there's problems. There's the day-to-day stuff, of course. And then there's the other stuff that you can build processes and try to actually build a business. So at the moment, I'm uh, focused on building some of those processes. So I don't have to do a lot myself. Um, and I can then focus on growing the business, right? It's hard, especially going from, you know, like a product market fit where you have a small team and then you start scaling the team. There's a lot of growing pains associated with that, but that's kind of the fun part. It's more, it's easier than the early days of product market fit and how do we, how do we develop what somebody needs, right? So, um, yeah, that's what I've been doing these days. Uh, a little more relaxed, but you know, more busy. Quite honestly. There you go. Is there anything that I did not ask you, but you wanted to share? No, I, I think we're good. I think we're good. Dennis, I appreciate you sharing your story, your openness, and your you know willingness to to give back and teach. Thank you, Tats. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.